Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, here we are, just a bunch of 30-year-olds. Look, turning 30 is not that big a deal. Oh, really? Is that how you felt when you turned 30? Why, God, why? I want to be 30. 30 and flirty and thriving. Oh, my God. The, having a baby at 37 was so much harder. 30 years old? Jesus Christ, somebody get this geriatric some Metanusel. Why is everyone make such a big fuss about turning 30? Deal. 30 is when I feel like my life started making sense. I definitely know more now that I'm 38. Here are some things that I've learned in my 30s. Hey, welcome along to another episode of Talk 30 to Me. I'm Justin Coombs-Pierce, joined by my beautiful wife, oh, that's Christy so Coombs-Pierce. Do we call you Christy Coombs-Pierce or are we still going Christy Hayes? No, 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 no. In the nicest way. Privately, I took your name, so I'm Christy oh. Coombs-Pierce privately. Uh, and just Christy Hayes. It's not like anyone really knows me anyway. So I can't change my name. <laughs> like uh, I got two wives. Instagram guest <laughs> <just> otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> and here she is, our beautiful guest. You know her from everything on Australian television. I know. Neighbours, uh, house husbands, underbelly, satisfaction. The list goes on. She has worked continuously like over and, and over And she's working again. now. And she's on set now working. She's also an author. She has a book called Six Under Eight. She's an amazing mother and actress and woman in general. It is the beautiful Madeleine West. Hello. Welcome to Talk 30 to Me. Hello, I can't, I, I, that intro is just, I, I, I'm needing to pick myself up off the floor. <laughs> I'm going to back out through the door because I've got a swollen head. Good, so you should have a big head, baby. It's like you, had- you must have had a couple of 30s to get all that stuff in. <laughs> we don't talk about how many times I've been 30, okay, Justin? Exactly. That's between you, me, and my bank. <laughs> oh, my gosh, but seriously, everything I just said was true. You've had this, and uh, having this incredible career. The first thing I go to is like, because for me, 30s and kids and fuck it's it's so hard to do everything and I remember when uh, you and I were working together on Neighbours Mad and you were directing me and um, and you you know you have so many children in the nicest way and I just thought how does she do it all I mean I'm sure everyone says this all the time but how how do you do it all uh, by accepting that you actually can't do it all I yeah. think that's been one of the most important life lessons as I've stepped into my later years. The acknowledgement that what we are told, uh, that you can have it all, you can reach for the stars, blah, 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 blah. It's a bit of a fallacy that there are limits on what you can do when it comes down to what do I want to do and what do I have to do, that there is no obligation for everything to tick, for everyone to tick every box. It's really important to prioritise to figure it out, figure out what it is that you truly want. And sometimes what we think we want is really indoctrination. This notion of, for me, the most important thing as a parent that I can do is provide a positive role model for my children, in particular my daughters, for what it means to not just be a successful or good person, but to be a contributing global citizen. And that means giving back not just for yourself and your career and and reaching your aspirations, but giving back to the world at large and treating others with kindness and respect, regardless of where they come from, the colour of their skin, their sexual orientation. If you can do that, you've got, you're going a long way in the right direction. And 
I try not to be a hypocrite in that there are times when I am very far from being the perfect mother, but I do the very best to demonstrate to my children what it means to live well and to have a happy and successful life. And sometimes that means that I'm not there for pickup. And yes, we have lived through a heartbreaking separation and my kids have experienced that trauma. But at the end of the day, I like to think that my kids go, you know what? Mum wanted to do that and she did it. Mm. That yeah. she didn't she didn't stop living her life. She didn't sacrifice her identity entirely to become mum. Mm. That from a young age I've taught my children that I'm your mum and that is the most important role and the most fulfilling role I could ever experience. But I'm also Madeline the actor and I'm also Maddie the author and I'm also Madeline the partner and I need to give a bit of oxygen to all of those Madelines to be the best Madeline I can be. And if I'm the best Madeline I can be, I'm the best mum I can be. And that's all I can wish for my children, that they never feel they have to sacrifice themselves in order to fulfil a role that society has assigned for them. You've just made me feel like a failure, but uh, thank you for that. <laughs> you got Christy, dude. You know, you're winning. Well, I was going to ask, you, you actually directed Christy on Neighbours. I was going to ask, yeah. what is harder to direct, kids or Christy? Because I struggle to get her to do anything. Yeah, but that's the joke. That's like when, when it's your partner, when it's your children, they've got a clause where they don't have to listen to anything you say. That's exactly when you're right. People on set, Even if I bring out the clapperboard. That's right. Yeah, I know. He hasn't brought out something for a while, by the way. No, I love that you normalize. And just what you said, you normalize wearing different hats. And I loved that you touched on the, you know, trauma of separation. Um, Hendrix and Harley, my five and six-year-old, they went through, you know, a separation of myself and, you know, their their biological father. They have a wonderful stepfather in Justin. Um, but I like to think that two happy homes are better than one unhappy home. And I think that the, the older I've got in my 30s as a woman, I used to stress about having it all together and, and whatnot and can I yeah. have it all. But I do believe that maybe you can have it all and just not at the same time. I've missed so many school pickups and school drop-offs I wasn't there for my boys on either of their first eight school really but the older I get I think the the more conversation I welcome of, of us normalizing that it's so important to do and and I love that you did that and you're a happier version of you you know like who, who cares about and I think your kids will understand yeah, in later definitely. life when, when they as they grow up and they see it and they start developing into human beings themselves you know mm. independent human beings yeah. that they, they'll understand it themselves they, they'll see and the it. world is never going to rock out wrap our children in cotton wool and no. the world does not orbit around our children we don't do them any favors to bring them up thinking that they're the sun and the rest of the galaxy yeah. moves around them it's very important to give them a reality check that you know life is hard you will experience trauma and if you if you can touch on that while they're young and they're within your embrace and that they're safe in the nest, so to speak, then you're giving, you're fortifying them with some of the, the, the essential tools to achieve happiness despite what life throws at you. It's very easy to wrap them in cotton wool and be tempted to helicopter them through their lives, but one day they have to step out into the real world and the real world is not there to take their hand and lead them towards success. The real world is to set up obstacles, hurdles and challenges along the way. And if, you, if they can experience that from a young age and understand that not everything is going to be hand delivered to you on a silk tray, then they're prepared to put their best foot forward, foot forward and understand that occasional failure doesn't need to destroy you. It can make you stronger. Yeah. It tests your will. It, it, it makes, it forces you to decide that is what I want and figure out how I'm going to get it and no one else is going to do it for me. 
Yeah, I agree. And, and look, you talked about the whole failure thing. And I, I mean, this is an old adage that many people use, but, you know, the most successful people in the world have all made the same mistakes that all of us have made. They just haven't made them twice. Absolutely. You know, they, they learn from them, they move on, and then they go on. They keep making mistakes, but they learn from those mistakes. Thing. And they, yeah. Being open to learning from mistakes. We, 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 we live in a society which is so adverse to any notion of failure perfection on every level but you know perfection is a concept it's not it's not a reality nothing is perfect there are no straight lines in the natural world so if we can understand that in a sense our idiosyncrasies and what might some might see as our flaws are actually what defines us and makes us different and makes us valuable my god to just to think that if we all kind of kind of pasted ourselves down into what we think the world wants from us then we're populating the world with a pretty shallow pool of personalities and people mm. where it's mm. those who are brave enough to think outside the box mm. that have make the world turn. And, my God, if we were to try and, you know, dilute ourselves down into any a notion of perfection, we'd still be living in caves and thinking that the world is square. It's the yeah. people who are prepared to go beyond the norm, who are, who are prepared to accept that I'm not perfect in every way but I'm still going to give it a red-hot go. The Albert Einsteins of the world, world the David Helfgotts, yeah. the Newtons, the, the great minds that were considered quirky or unusual or a bit weird, they're the ones who've changed the world. And, gosh, if we can teach our children that from a young age, that it's okay to be different and if anything it's preferable to be different, my gosh, we're providing them a pretty good stepping stone to success. I think that you are one of the most intelligent people I've ever met, Mads. And I remember even telling Justin this a couple of years back when we were first talking. Um, but I also like to think that intelligence, uh, you know, you can have a natural amount, obviously, but we do evolve and grow and whatnot. So I'm curious, like, what's something that you know now that you wish you knew in your 20s? That's such a tricky question. Um, first of all, that I don't know everything. Mm some reason when you hit your 20s you feel like you know it all oh yeah you've got I knew everything. everything in my 20s I thought I mean I knew nothing but I thought I did yeah absolutely and that in itself creates a resistance to further learning and it creates a resistance to curiosity and the moment we stop being curiosity and we stop willing to play we're done and dusted and unfortunately a lot of people fall into that trap mm. and so once they achieve those milestones that are expected of them got to finish school, go to uni, get a job, get married, have 2.5 kids, buy a house with a picket fence, and that's it. From then on, it's pretty much, oh, I'm just waiting to die and I'm going to have some fun while I get there. But the willingness to um, decide that something doesn't quite fit, that it's not quite right, that there's got to be more to life, that for me is something I've really discovered and has become entrenched in my perception of who I am in my 30s, that knowledge that actually I don't know anything at all but I'm willing to learn. Yeah. So that definitely, I didn't understand that I really thought I knew everything or that I mm. understood and comprehended everything. I knew nothing. And realistically, I accept now that I know less now than I thought I knew in my 20s. But that's okay because I'm still learning. And yeah. that is knowing like something. The knowledge is- that I don't know things makes me go, I want to understand them. Yeah. Well, I guess this, it is a common theme that's come out, uh, you know, in the people that we've spoken to. We live a Benjamin Button life, don't we? The younger we are, the more we think we know. Um, but as we get older and we start to learn more, we actually realise we know less, which is the way you just yeah. sort of summed it up there. And it is it is a phenomenal way to sort of look at it. And if only we knew then what we know now or didn't know now what we knew 
Don't like, know them. Now I don't know what you're yeah. talking about. <laughs> I'm a little bit lost. <laughs> in my life. I, I get where you're going. There's so many things I could have done when my body was younger and more flexible. Oh, I know. Tell me about it. I, I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> Men are lucky, though. You know, women go through things like childbirth and, you know, especially in the acting world, you've got to remain a certain size. Like, oh, my God, the stress that yeah. that does to, to one's mental health even. I wish I didn't care about that in my 20s. That was perhaps the most pivotal lesson for me was that, and it came from being hit by a bus of all things when I was 21, that mm. my appearance is not the most important thing about me and that my ability and my all I have to offer the world is not defined by how I look, that it really took being hit by a bus and having my face completely smashed up and having to go through months of therapy to relearn how to walk and talk and and for a moment to think, you know, to push to the ex- that extreme, to think that what I was valued for most in the world, my appearance was lost before I could sit down and actually go, why did I become an actor in the first place? Was it so I could look sexy on the cover of a magazine or was it so that I could tell stories Yeah, mm. and, you know, walk through another person's life, take an audience with me and for just a couple of minutes on screen or an hour or two on stage to allow someone to live vicariously through me a life that they might have no access to. And I'm a storyteller first and foremost. And in accepting that, I came to understand that it really doesn't matter how I look and that a lot of the burden that I perceive the industry in putting on me, I'm actually putting on myself that, you know, that I have to be this perfect little size. If I really analyse it, we live in an age now where, if anything, we're moving against that. We want, oh, yeah. hmm. we want shapes and sizes. And, yep. and so the pressures, those kinds of pressures that I leveraged on myself in my early 20s are completely gone. And uh, with that came an understanding that the way we look makes up about that much of who we are. Yeah. And if we're going to shove all of our hopes, all of our dreams, all of our skills, all of our intellect, our ambitions, what we have to offer the world, how much into that and dilute it down into that, how much are we going to lose? And more importantly, how much is the world going to lose if we populate it with people who have an expectation that this is the sum total of who they are and we've seen that play out on instagram reality tv etc etc ad hoc but at the end of the day if if we're willing to see beyond this facade and utilize all we have to offer the world to make big changes and teach the next generation that we are so much more than our packaging then we're going to usher in an extraordinary future I don't think there's anyone more suited to this particular podcast than mm. you, Madeline, purely and simply because if you, you talk about a life change at the start of your 20s, I mean, mm. you literally had a physical life change at the start mm. of your 20s. Um, Absolutely. That must have just completely changed your outlook on everything. So I'm going to ask, it sort of works into our second question that we like to ask here. So when you were young, a kid even, what did you think you were going to be in your 20s? So I discovered acting when I was five. Mm. And I was absolutely certain I was going to be a stage actor of the Judy Dench ilk that I thought <laughs> mm-hmm. I would be treading the boards, mm-hmm. you know, working the works of the great bard of William Shakespeare. Landing in my 20s, I found myself on television more than anything else and spouting lines of dialogue that I think even William Shakespeare couldn't have dreamed up. They were so ridiculous. Um, <laughs> As if you know, nothing I, you says is ridiculous. Nothing you say yeah, is ridiculous. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but um, I very much thought it was always acting and that, I think that was why the bus accident was so devastating because mm. everything I had worked 
so hard to achieve and it was a long journey for me to make my way in the into the acting world. It was never just a got spotted on a street or entered a modelling competition. Yeah. It was from a very young age um, studying all the different methodologies and understanding them, taking them into my body. And for that to be snatched away, I had to really appreciate that if I'm prepared to sacrifice this career that has been all I've thought about from such a very young age because I've got a dodgy face and a couple of broken teeth and I don't deserve to have this career in the first place. That fulfilling this career that for many would seem implausible because it's not a real job, it's not a real job. Oh, everyone says that, don't they? Yeah. And acting is a real job, you know. It's it's a a fucking real real job. job. And it's, it, it harks back to our, this is what's fascinating, it harks back to it is a pivotal component of the evolutionary link that when sapiens evolved from primates, our brains enlarged and the part of our brain that enlarged the most was the hypothalamus and that actually oversees some pivotal core conceptual programming in the brain which if we were to drill down into it, the one skill that distinguishes us from the rest of the primates and animal kingdom is our ability to lie. <laughs> Humans lie. Animals Some better than others. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hello. Where's my logic for that one? Um, <laughs> primates and animals have no reason to lie. They go mm. through their day. They have their pivotal functions. They've got no reason to tell stories. And that is what lying is. It's storytelling. But as we, as humans, came down from the trees and, and moved into large social constructs which required cohesion and communication, we learned to embellish the truth. We learned to lie to make our communities function. And that is what acting is. It's part of the evolutionary link. It's part of the core reason that we became what we are today, homo sapiens. So for anyone to say that it's, it's not necessary well i'm sorry but storytelling is our first and foremost tradition it's our way of passing on information and to this very day the notion of being able to tell stories to explain things using pretty pictures and using mm. amazing words mm. it's pivotal to who we are as human absolutely all component of our communication for anyone to denigrate it i think they're really foolish but for me to lose that for just that moment to think that i'm not going to be able to con- pursue this thing that has been the be all and end all of my life from a young age because of the way I look then I'm being the fool and so I decided then and there you know what if I can't be in front of the camera I'll be behind the camera I'll direct I'll manage the lighting rig I'll write and pursued all of that and when that brought me back in front of the camera it was with a renewed vigor for my craft and an understanding and not long after that I ended my time on neighbors because I wanted to tell stories I'd been there for nearly four years and I told that story to death yeah. And I'd reached the Literally. point where I was no longer playing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I know I was so devastated <laughs> when your character died. Wednesday, oh my god. Car accident. And oh, Tony, oh my god. god. Yeah. Watched out to sea. Again, it was awful. It was been a logie, but <laughs> we'll get there, babe. We'll get there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's all right. I've been nominated for 15 commercial radio awards and never won one. Yeah, you'll get there, dude. Christy's been, yeah, she, she's been nominated once and got one. So again, she's Christy. I mean, look at her. What more can I say? <laughs> no, hang on, hang on. Let me rephrase that. Listen to her. Yeah. What more did she need to say? Thank you. Thank you so much. But I I really, going back to how you had that phenomenal, devastating, but life-altering and perhaps even retrospectively horrific life experience, but maybe now 
was something you learn and can grow from. When I was in my 20s, I was like, by the time I'm 30, I'm going to have, you know, won an Oscar. I'm going to have done it all. I'm going to have the babies and the, you know, the 2.5 kids and the mortgage and everything like that. And I still don't have any money. I haven't, I don't own a house. We don't own a house yet. Maybe we'll get there. But I turned 30 and I realized how young I was. I actually turned 30 and went, oh my God, I was a baby then. I'm still a baby now. And I'm starting to actually get more proactive with my time. Um, and I had all these theories about what turning 30 meant, but what did you find out when you turned 30 that sort of debunked your myth of your twenties? I think that when I, like I'd said earlier, I had a real cataclysmic moment that I think most people discover in their thirties. I had discovered that in my twenties, that mm. the notion of my appearance, not guiding who I was, but um, when I hit my thirties, Look, I'm going to be honest and say it was probably only in the last year that I really understood it, that I've learned to worship what I'm capable of and the things that I've never thought I could do. I work as a rainforest regenerator now when I'm not working. And that means do cutting through lantana with, with machetes and drilling out camphor laurel and planting swathes of rainforest trees. Wow. That would never, I would never in a million years have thought that I could do that. I've trained as a circus performer. All these things in just the last couple of years that I kind of figured if I can have six babies, I can do anything. Oh, yeah. So yeah. while being hit by the bus in my 20s made me very conscious of my mortality, my later 30s renewed my vigour in I can be immortal if I really want to be. That God, the legacy I choose to leave is mine for the making and glass ceilings are there for the breaking. And listen to me going, getting, <laughs> and, no one, and the only person who can stop me doing everything I want to do is me. Yeah. And there's certain things where I just go, well, you know what? That's just a little bit too hard. I, I did something recently. I had to turn, I actually turned down a job that I quite wanted, but I just went in the balance of things I'm working right now. I'd only have a few weeks off in between. I don't want to do that. I actually yeah. don't want to do that. I want to go back and work in the rainforest. I want to spend time with my kids. I want to regenerate. I'm starting a new podcast series myself. I want to invest some time in that. That is my priority right now. It was never about fame or accolades or any of that kind of thing. Or logies. Um, and <laughs> like I said, you, we have only a few of them in our lives, maybe only one, but life-changing experiences are called that for a reason because they have the power to change your life if you are brave enough to let them. Yeah. And facing fear unto itself is another concept. And in June of last year, which would have marked the 18th anniversary since I was hit by the bus, I went back to the bus stop where I was hit by the bus on Oxford Street in Sydney. And I did that because I thought I was, again, this thing in your 20s thinking you know everything. I thought I'd processed all the trauma around the bus accident. I'd moved beyond it. I'd given inspirational moving speeches about it to school children, done all of that. And then one day I was crossing the road from a milk bar back to my kids and the sound of traffic, I froze in my, I had such a, like a high arcing trauma response to the traffic. And I realised there's a big part of this that I haven't dug into. And so I went back to the bus stop, didn't tell anyone because I didn't want anyone from my immediate tribe trying to come with me and soothe me. So I thought, no, I need to feel all of this. I don't need anyone to reassure me right now. I need to feel all of this. And I did. And I stood at that bus stop four and a half hours until I stopped panicking at the sight of the buses coming in. And when I, when I, I went through that whole process and I was a complete mess and I came out at the other end, still that trauma being very alive in my body, but very aware that in fighting your fears, you rediscover yourself. And that is what opened doors to me, to things that I didn't think I could do. 
And it's when I decided I'm just going to start saying yes to life. I spent a long time countering it because I've got this very tunnel tunnel vision perspective on what life should be, that it should be a successful career and it should be the children, it should be the house, it should be a paid-off mortgage, it should be this, this, this. No, actually, there's a whole lot of conduits that can lead to happiness and mindfulness and a sense of well-being. And so that's what I've really discovered in the last couple of years, that what I like thought life could be if I'm prepared to fight my fears and break down some of those barriers, it can be anything that I'm the master of my own destiny. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You're definitely an unstoppable force. There's no doubt about that. And the fact that we've now got a machete in your hand makes it even worse. <laughs> it even scarier, I know. I Be scared. <laughs> Be scared, Australia. <laughs> you seem... I mean, I mean, it's important to highlight that people sometimes, you know, Instagram or whatnot can be a highlight reel. But even just talking to you now, you do seem happy. Am I right? Are you happy? Like... It seems as though happiness for us is a daily choice. We have bad days. We have good days. We're lucky. We can see Madeline. She, she hasn't stopped smiling. Since, I know. Since, and I can see Mad's on. beautiful smile yeah. and um, and see the look in the joy in your eyes. I mean, that probably also comes down to you're on set. And I know as an actress, I mean, we get tired when we're on set, but it's always our happy place, right? And it's right. the place where we're not mum. And I'm saying that in the nicest way to the kids, but you are just you now at work. You know, and the kids, they're always on our mind. They get under your skin, the little bastards. But it's nice just to see escapism come to life for a working mother talking about yeah. her story. And it seems like everything that you've overcome has has just become okay. And I love that. And I have no doubts that throughout your life, people have given you probably good, bad advice. And I always love to ask this on our show because I think it's something that's quite pivotal because people can take on board advice or people can leave advice. But what was the best or worst piece of advice that you got in your 20s. Mm-hmm. So when I was, I'm not going to name the show, but um, I've talked about it occasionally. There was a particular show which breached a clause in my contract about breast shots, about mm-hmm. utilising breast shots in scenes. And I'd had it put into the contract, not because I was prudish, I'd just done quite a few seasons on a show about being a sex worker. Um, it was about the fact that I was in early pregnancy and my boobs were enormous and they were for me and my baby. And that was of course. Mm-hmm. And, and your choice. And I found out that numerous shots of my breasts had been used and kicked up a real fuss and was told, look, just let it go. Just let it go. Just it's, it's, it's not that important. And my perception was, well, it was in my contract and my contract is my word and my word should be binding and should be respected. So just the notion that um, because I was small and pretty that made me somehow pointless, yeah. that I didn't have the right to take ownership over my body and how it was portrayed. But just because someone is small and pretty that never means that they're pointless and that should not for a moment dilute 
their power. And a lot of that comes down to notions of freedom. And it's it's a scary time that we live in. That in, in, in the one week we find out that, well, Bill, Bill Cosby's walked free, mm. but at the same time, Britney Spears, who eminently yeah. more famous, has had every single freedom stripped from her and mm-hmm. has no power at all. Even and, over her um, own body, for God's sake. Over <laughs> her own body, her own contraceptive yeah. or reproductive capability so this notion is one that a lot of women live with that they all aspire to the small pretty mantle but if you are small and pretty that somehow makes you less that therefore but the pressure to primp and make yourself pretty and prepare yourself for to be insta ready for this world that is immediately going to judge you based on the size of your butt and the size of your nose and and the size of your waist and, you know, how you look in heels and how big you can pout and measures your IQ in inverse proportion to the size of your bust. I call BS on that. No, that mm. no matter mm. what you are, no one has the right to tell you you are anything less and that you don't have ownership over yourself. That there is, that in that smallest, I'll use this example, that... Um, I went bushwhacking a couple of weeks ago in my partner's um, Jeep and we went over a mound that ripped the axle and the muffler off the bottom of the car and Mm -hmm. a piece of of metallic strip had broken. And um, we tried all these things to fix it and couldn't get it fixed. And in the end I had a pair of hoop earrings on, these quite amazing, quite heavy double hoop earrings, and we used one of my earrings (laughs) to hoop the exhaust and the muffler back onto the mainframe of the chassis under the car and it held long enough for uh, long enough for us to get out of the middle of the bush and back into town to an auto mechanic and this seemingly pointless pretty little bauble yeah which is what a lot of people are seeing in this world had the strength to hold everything together and get us back to safety wow. so um it comes yeah so it comes back to that notion that being told that my body would change astronomically because I was going to have a baby and that would somehow make me less worthy of having the career I had was a complete furphy, that motherhood has brought me a better understanding of my body's capabilities, a better respect for what it is capable of and taught me depths of empathy and understanding and compassion that I would never have had had I, had I never had children. They are the single greatest blessing that has ever entered my life. And in the aftermath of separation, I don't get to see them every day, but my appreciation for the incredible human beings that they are and who they will become and who I have played some small part in fostering that is better than any Oscar or any accolade or any huge check for landing an enormous film. That is, they are my magnum opus. And anyone who suggests otherwise or tries to suggest in any way that has dented my power or diluted my strength is a goddamn fool. <laughs> I think the so next beautiful. check's actually going to come from Jeep for her earrings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, right? You're in line with bunnies. <laughs> is there anything you can't do? Seriously. But I loved, hon, I love, love, love so much the um, – that you mentioned, you know, when, when we might feel, particularly as women, like a small fish in a big pond, you know, when you completely fucked over by the network and I picked up on what you were talking about, I won't name names, but I love for the woman or the man listening right now who might not work in the entertainment industry, you know, might be an accountant at work and feeling a bit inferior to the big boys and getting screwed. It's good to know that, um, that, that there is always people that have gone through similar things. It might be a different scenario, but we're all in it together, this whole mm. thing of fighting oh, back God. against 
you know, wrongdoing and whatnot. And I do think that we're progressively getting a little bit better. I mean, I don't, I mean, I can't imagine what happened to you X amount of years ago would happen nowadays. I could be wrong, but I'm really proud of you for that being a highlight that you spoke about because a lot of women, particularly ones that um, are successful working actresses like yourself, who just work, 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 work all the time might hold back with that. And um, I love that you didn't, you know, I absolutely love that you're such a great storyteller. There's something quite tyrannical in silence. Mm that silence is endorsement mm. in a way. That's not fair because that's, that's putting the onus on those who don't speak out. And I'm not saying that at all, but mm. I'm saying we shouldn't fear speaking out because it is speaking out that gives everyone in the community an opportunity to rise. Someone who might speak in a derogatory manner to someone else by having, by having someone they respect say, hey, you know, that's not on because of this reason, stops them doing it again. And so therefore the cycle is broken. Yeah. For every young woman or young man who's working in whichever field of endeavour who is experiencing discrimination or feeling put down at any level by speaking out, they're resetting the playing field for those who follow. And that's leaving a legacy. So I think it's really important to look beyond our own experience and understand that communication is what forges community. And the stronger the community, then the better we all the better opportunities we all have, the more opportunities we all have. And it lifts everyone. Yeah. And that applies to everything. Absolutely. And you know what? Sometimes silence isn't golden. It's a great old adage, but silence isn't always golden, you know, particularly in my Also, <laughs> not all of us like to be judged how we uh, look in heels as well. So it's, uh... Oh, come on, Justin. <laughs> uh, I'm wearing them now. All right. Well, now, Madeline, you're somebody who reinvented themselves multiple times, not only continuing as an actor and a director and a writer, but now we know that you're into reforestry and, and, and fixing Jeeps <laughs> and fixing Jeeps with earrings. Uh, wh- where do you see yourself in 10 years time? Who will you be in 10 years time? The best version of myself that I can be. And I don't know what shape that will take. And that's what's so wonderful. I'm no longer locking anything in. I'm no longer setting anything in concrete because I think that there that creates a false sense of security that if I achieve this thing that I'm done, I just want to see where life takes me. I've lived by other people's rules for too long. Mm-hmm. And so my own rule is that nothing's off the limits. The road is open and I'm I'm willing to walk down it. So I'm not really sure where it's going to take me. Look, I really have a problem with this notion that we often pass on this notion to our kids that um, you can be anything, you can reach for the stars while we get on the train and get to the office at 8.45 to do a job we hate, but it's paying off the mortgage and then coming home at the end of the day and not actually meaningfully spending time with the kids because we're so tired. So it creates a cyclical thing, but I need to do this in order to achieve that. I've decided I'm not not setting any goals beyond health, um, resurrecting our environment as much as I can, working towards creating communities based on kindness and every step I take, like I said earlier, I just try to create a blueprint for my kids for what it means to live a healthy, wealthy, fulfilling life. Mm. And wealth in life is not about material riches. It's about the gifts that you give to yourself and to others by believing in yourself and moving beyond any notion of the way we look, teaching my kids that the most attractive 
quality any one person can possess is a belief in themselves. Because if you believe in yourself, then nothing can stop you, not even a bus. Yeah, well, your testament to that. I want to know then if we um if we come planting trees with you, can I have a go at the machete? <laughs> as long as we have an argument. The machete. <laughs> but every person who gets on the machete for the first time feels like they're in Rambo. Or what, what's that? <laughs> yeah, Rambo. And then they give it a swing and they're like, this is actually really hard. <laughs> it can be quite emasculating, Justin. I'll just tell you that. You but, keep at it. Uh, like anything in life. I think it's going to be. It, it There's be a good the chance time. it'll be emasculating because I'll probably chop something off in the process. <laughs> oh, please don't say <laughs> that. Don't be doing that. <laughs> we don't have insurance coverage for that kind of business, Justin. <laughs> oh, well, Madeline West, listen, I have no doubts. Wherever you go in life, it's going to be interesting and authentic and, like you talked about, an incredibly amazing story, a story so well told. I think that you are absolutely incredible. I think you're so intelligent, like I've said many, many, many times, so emotionally aware, mm. so kind so sweet, so generous, and just this fascinating woman who, and, and it's not like our legacy is just our kids and it's not, but I'm so glad that there are six little mini yous out there because I honestly believe with people like you and therefore your kids, the world is a better place. And <laughs> your book is really funny too. So if you have kids, you think about kids, you want to have kids, do check out Matt's book. I think it came out in 2016. It's still very relevant today. Yep. Six under eight. I mean, I had two under two. Yes. I thought I was going to die. Um, but we do live through it. And, you know, motherhood and fatherhood, of course, can bring out lots of emotions in different people. But you see parents and women like Madeline West herself who are surviving, have survived many times over and have a great story to tell. So thank you so oh, much for joining you. us. And on check Talk out my kids' book series too. It's called Lily DVAP. All right. Lily DVAP? Yep. Going to do it right now. Done. Excellent. Thanks, Madeline. Thank you so, so much. This podcast is produced by Just In Case Entertainment. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.